Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To say he was confused would have been an understatement. Everybody there knew why he was there. Everybody knew. It had been difficult to get him in. Uh, Rather crazy, actually. Now, looking back at the incident, we're not exactly sure how to take it, but popularity had been growing. This rabbi from Galilee, it was getting more and more difficult to get an audience with him. And he was in Capernaum. He was up north of Jerusalem. And he was uh, kind of on the outskirts of society because of the crowds. Because the crowds were so great and they were, they were hindering his work. And the reason of the crowds, well, he was healing people. And that's why everybody wanted a piece of this guy. Not only that, he... He had amazing teachings. He was fun to listen to, unlike some preachers I know. <laughs> he was intriguing. He spoke with authority. There was new teachings, and he could heal people. And this man was confused. He had four buddies. They, they tore the roof off the place. Before that was a popular phrase in rap music, they tore the roof off. And they put this guy into the house through the roof. The folks had been wanting a roof replacement. They were waiting for a hailstorm to come through uh, that spring, and now they had a reason to contact their insurance adjuster. Thanks to four men who had removed a section of the roof and they had lowered their friend on his mat. He's paralyzed. He'd been that way since the accident out on the farm when the donkey got away from him and severed his spine. He was on this mat and that's where he lay Day in, day out, there was no hope for him. And they lowered him in, and he was confused. He knew what he wanted. He wanted to walk. And he wasn't the only one confused. Everybody was confused. And everyone was confused because everybody knew why he was there, except, it seemed, for the guy that could do something about it. They lowered him in. It gives us no name for him. They drop him in right in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks upon him and he says, Technon, son. A very endearing term. A compassionate word. A kind word. A way that a father addresses his kid who is dear to him, son. And you can picture the scene. It's dusty. I mean, my goodness, they ripped the roof off. 
There's been commotion, and everybody's anticipating the next words because they have seen this guy do miracles. They have heard him speak. They have heard him teach with authority, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to get to see a big one today. Remember when Junior fell off the donkey on the farm? And for years, he's been an invalid. He's been paralyzed. The family has had no help from him. He has been unable to work. He's been unable to feed himself. And we're going to get to see this. And everybody is there for the same reason. They all know why he's come. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you know why we're here, Jesus? Do you know why we went through the trouble of dropping this guy in at your feet? That he needed our help to get into the place? Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Okay, that's great and all, but Matt, paralyzed. How about you forgive the donkey? Remember that? Son, your sins are forgiven. And with that, there's kind of a a gasp. The room, it becomes hard to breathe in all of a sudden. The oxygen has been sucked out because the scribes are there. You can't say that. Only God has the power to forgive sins. In fact, Jesus knows that's what they're thinking. My guess is Jesus being Jesus has orchestrated this whole thing to make a point. My guess is he has done this on purpose because if he doesn't know why the guy's there, he's the only one in the room that doesn't know why he's there. Son, your sins are forgiven. Imagine if you went to the doctor with a cold. Worse, the flu. You come in and you're coughing and you're wheezing and you can't breathe and life is miserable and you walk into the doctor and the doctor says, son, the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) That's great. I'm excited, but golly, I feel terrible. How does that help me? Son, you're going to win the lottery. Great. Wonderful. I can pay the bill later. Now, some help, please. Did I show up at the right office today? What is going on? And that's what seems to be going on here in Mark chapter 2. It's like Jesus doesn't get the memo. When a paralyzed guy shows up and you are known to heal people, heal him. Son, your sins are forgiven. As I read Mark, I'm thinking Jesus is looking for a fight. As I read Mark, I think Jesus is looking for a fight. Have you ever pictured Jesus as looking for a fight? You know, the meek and mild, nice guy who... I think in some Christian circles, we get this apologetic, nice guy Jesus. Sorry for... Sorry. Sorry, guys, I didn't mean, you know, what I said. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I, I want everybody to like me. I'd hate for people not to like me. 
what we do is we project our own insecurities and our own concerns and we put them on Jesus and we think that's how he functions. Because none of us like to pick a fight. But Mark is now at a part of his gospel. Chapter 1, he's set the stage and he's basically said, Jesus is God. It's very clear. And we got into that. And Mark has set the stage where there are mighty deeds being done. And the only person, the only entity that the Jews know that can do these type of mighty deeds is Yahweh, God, the Most High. The only one who can do this stuff. He defeats Satan in a showdown at the old wilderness corral. He casts out an unclean spirit at the synagogue. He heals people and... Now, Jesus is orchestrating a showdown. There's going to be a series of five controversies. Chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 6. There's five controversies. And Jesus is hankering for a fight. Because he could have avoided this. Every single one of these fights has to do with him or his disciples picking it. not the picture of jesus we usually have is it do you have kids you kind of ask them to keep their nose clean hey you know don't don't get in fights you know if you if anything you can do to avoid a confrontation avoid a fight i'm sure jesus mother mary raised him right and i'm sure she thought you know jesus don't go out of your way to fight with people we have another way of putting it don't be a jerk But Jesus orchestrates every single one of these controversies. This one could have been avoided. He could have just said, son, you're you're healed. Get up and walk. He could have done that. In fact, he does. Let's read what happens here. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Anybody ever had it reported that they were home once they got back to Ray? That's Jesus grew up in a small town too, you know. It's like, hey, he's back. Let's go, let's go bug him. <laughs> Poor guy. You know, he doesn't even have enough time to wash his feet off the dirty trail and, you know, relax. It's like, oh, he's back. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him (laughs) and when they had made an opening they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay and when jesus saw their faith whose faith did he see theirs the four guys lowering him perhaps the paralytic's like i don't know if it's going to work or not he said to the paralytic not to them but to the paralytic Son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody goes, what? What on several levels? What? I'm confused. He's here to get healed too. What? Let's keep reading. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts. They don't even say this out loud. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Mark, in his characteristic way, says, and immediately, because he really likes that, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, so something happened in the heart of the scribes, and now something happens in Jesus' spirit, that they thus question within themselves, said to them. <laughs> they don't even have to say anything. He knows what's going on. Do you think he knows they know why he... Do you, is this surprising to Jesus? I mean, number one, he's orchestrated it. He chose to do it this way. Why? Because he knew it would lead to questioning in their hearts, and then he knew that he would get to say this to them. He's creating the controversy. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? <laughs> you ever tried to backpedal from something you're thinking when your wife tells you what you're thinking? And... <laughs> oh, you don't know me. I don't know. You don't know what I'm talking. You know, or it's really fun to watch kids do that. I just fell into the cookie jar. I don't know. It's... Come on, you're totally... Oh. It's a bummer to be found out, right? Why do you question these things in your hearts? He was. I'm just sitting here. Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now, last I checked, both are easy to say. Let's practice them. Your sins are forgiven? Pretty easy. Rise, take up your mat and walk? Super easy. Easy to say. Both are easy to say. What's he saying? Was one a tongue twister in Greek and the other isn't? I mean, what's he getting at? But that you may know that the Son of Man... Okay, what? Son of Man? It's capitalized, must be important. Has authority on earth to forgive sins. Oh, so Son of Man must be Jesus talking about himself, because he's the one that said your sins are forgiven earlier. So that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, so he's talking to the crowd. Now he turns and goes, talks to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. <laughs> like, don't even stay for the sermon. It's not worth your time. Just get up and leave. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? It's like, that's weird. Rise and stay for a while because I got some more stuff to say. That's what most preachers would do. Jesus says, hey, rise, get on out of here. And he rose, and immediately, Mark really wants to keep his, you know, he's got a lot of stuff to say, and he's only got 16 chapters. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. End of story. Let's pray and go home. Because Lord knows you all got it. What? Which is harder to say. But so you will know that the Son of Man. Now, we need to unpack a few things here in the luggage that Jesus has left for us. There's a couple of things we need to figure out. One, which is harder to say, because Jesus seems to think one is easier than the other. And he also brings in this Son of Man title. Now, it's interesting. First off, a couple things. Mark, this is the first mention of a crowd in the book of Mark. Jesus is growing in popularity. 
A lot of people are following around Jesus. The crowds are going to be very important through the rest of the book. They become like a minor character. They could win like Best Supporting Actor Award. The crowd becomes kind of important. And there's a question that is in front of the crowd throughout the whole book. You see, Mark is setting up his story for a right answer concerning who Jesus is. And we already saw what the right answer is earlier. And the one who had the right answer was the man with the unclean spirit. Not the man, the unclean spirit actually had the right answer. He said, you are the son of the most high. To which a game show host says, correct answer. That's for $5,000. Jesus says, shh, keep it quiet. Come out of him. The right answer in Mark is first spoken by a demon. The next group that gets the answer correct is the disciples, those who have decided to follow Jesus. Now, there's another group that gets the question wrong. Who do you say that I am? It's the scribes. We met them now. It's the Pharisees. It's the Sadducees. It's the religious leaders. And they answer this poorly. They decide. In fact, at the end of this passage of these five controversies, listen to how this starts going. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately, because Mark wants to keep this moving along, held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So we got two groups. We got disciples, they got white hats, they're the good guys. They're on Jesus' side, they like him. And we got the black hats, Pharisees, Herodians, scribes, Sadducees, they want to destroy him. And then we got a big crowd. And Mark's created this big crowd, and throughout the gospel, the question in front of you, the reader, the question in front of the crowd is, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? You cannot see this Jesus correctly in this gospel and go, I really like Jesus. He is a nice fellow, that Jesus. You can't do that. You can't just go, you know, I really like my life, and if I could just have a dab of Jesus on the side to go. You can't do that. Mark has structured the gospel that he tells, the story that he tells, where you have to make a choice. You're either going to embrace him as the son of God, which is going to really mess you up, or you're going to reject him and want him dead. Two choices. And it starts early. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 3, and Jesus is the one who is causing the controversies. He's not some mamby-pamby wimp. He came to mess things up. I like him. Amen. Now, filter so then what do we do with this confusion what do we do with the story what do we do with what's going on 
Why does Jesus create a controversy? Why is Jesus looking to get in a fight? That's why he came. That's why he's here. Let's go back to the Son of Man reference. Now, if you've been in church world for any amount of time, you know that that is Jesus' favorite expression to refer to himself by. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark it shows up. Son of Man. Very first time that he uses this phrase. And guess what? It comes from the Old Testament. Jesus knew his Old Testament. That was the only Bible he had. And it comes from a passage, and some of you guys are going to be really excited about this because you like end-time stuff. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. <gasps> yes, that Daniel chapter 7 with the beasts and the stuff that's weird going on. Yeah, that one. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. We're not going to get into it because here's my view on eschatology. I don't like any of the systems because they all cheat. Now moving on. Daniel chapter 7. This is where we encounter this language about son of man. This is the title that Jesus grabs for himself. He grabs it out of Daniel chapter 7. And as you read Daniel chapter 7, you're going to be like, wow, that's weird. It says this, as I looked, who's looking? Daniel, because it's his book. Daniel looked, thrones were placed. Thrones. Not one thrones, multiple thrones, at least two. Let me suggest to you that when it's plural, that means at least two. Could be more. Because in Revelation, we see that there's 24 thrones. There could be a bunch of thrones. As I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days, it is capitalized, meaning it is a title. It's a title for whom? Just take a, we're in church, just take a crazy guess. God, that's right. Very good. Good job. Ancient of Days, title for God, here in this passage, as I fall off the stage. Ancient of Days took his seat. So God is in one of the thrones. His clothing was white as snow. Does God have clothes? He's a spirit. Do spirits need clothing? And the hair of his head like pure wool. Do spirits have wool? like hair. I don't know. I've never seen one. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. I hope he's not wearing clothes. He's sitting on a fiery throne. Michael Jackson lost his hair from a fiery experience. I'm hoping that's not what happens with God here. Let's keep reading and see what happens. You didn't ever think you'd think of Michael Jackson reading Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions and beheld with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's the phrase. First time it appears in the Old Testament is right there. Daniel 7. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So notice that the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man are two distinct beings. Right? Different dudes. But look what happens. Look how the Son of Man is described in the next few verses. 
And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who does that sound like? Everlasting dominion. Who lives forever? God. Who has everlasting dominion, or at least eventually will? God. So is the Son of Man... God or not? Let me suggest to you that he is the son of man, that he is God, and that the ancient Jews had a theology. They had a worldview. They had a teaching that was called the two powers in heaven view. It was written about by a scholar. His name was Siegel. He wrote about this in 1977. He was a Jew, not a Christian. He was a Jewish scholar. And he wrote a book called The Two Powers in Heaven. It was an ancient Jewish teaching. They believed that there was an invisible Yahweh in heaven and a visible Yahweh who appeared on earth. The visible Yahweh, you may have encountered him. He was the Melchizedek person who met with Abraham. He was in the burning bush. If you read that account of Moses in the burning bush, there was a, there was a person, a man in the burning bush. He was the angel of the Lord who led Joshua and the Israelites into battle. When Joshua says, hey, whose side are you on? He's like, I'm on neither. I'm on God's side. Sometimes you guys are on God's side and sometimes you ain't. He was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God says in Exodus, my name is in him. And this is interesting for our Mark chapter 2 passage. It says, any sin that you commit against him will not be forgiven. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It says any sin you commit against him, he will not, he will not forgive. I thought it was just a cloud. You can't sin against clouds, can you? There's a person. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it says the word of the Lord came and stood. The word of the Lord was seen. These are theophanies is the big 25 cent word. These are Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. And when you read these passages, you're like, okay, there's a Yahweh, and then there's a Yahweh, and there's a Yahweh, and then there's a Yahweh, and Yahweh, eh? You're confused. And you realize that it's, it's this confusing matter. It seems like there's these two Yahwehs. And guess what? That's what the rabbis, the ancient rabbis taught. And do you know when they quit teaching this? In the second century AD, when the church started to teach the Trinity. And the Jews got rid of the two power in heaven view. In fact, there's a Hebrew scholar who teaches at... Uh, Hebrew Union Seminary, his name's Summer. And he wrote that the doctrine of the Trinity that Christians hold to is completely and utterly, and by, he, by the way, he is a Jew. He is not a Christian. He's not going to become one. He doesn't like us necessarily. He wrote, the, God, the doctrine of the Trinity is completely and utterly supported in the Old Testament. Makes total sense out of the Old Testament. This is a Jewish scholar telling us that. And he is not arguing for it because he doesn't believe it. But he says, reading the Old Testament, absolutely you can find 
a view of the Godhead being a multiple person. Daniel 7 is one of those passages. We have the ancients of days, we have the Son of Man, and there's also a really cool little chocolate center in this candy. Now, you and I are English-speaking people, we're from America, we don't get it, but let me try to unpack it for you. The ancient Israelites liked to mock their enemies. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Did you see how the Broncos mocked their enemies? It took 81 seconds for the Broncos to mock their enemies. After Peyton Manning completed a pass to Andre Caldwell. Caldwell was run out of bounds, and as soon as he caught the pass, he did this. Do you know what that is? A dab. Thank you, Ked. Ked wanted me to put some pizzazz in the sermon today, so apparently he's excited. (laughs) Andre Caldwell dabbed. What is that? That's what Cam Newton does when he scores touchdowns. Andre Caldwell did not score a touchdown, but he got a first down. And instantly, 81 seconds into the game, the Broncos are communicating, hey, punks, over on the other sideline. We're here to win. Cam Newton didn't do this on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, if Josh were here, Josh Graham, he wouldn't be so happy about what I'm sharing with you. In fact, there's times that Bronco fans have had their team mocked. Remember when teams would come into Mile High Stadium and they'd score a touchdown and then they would do this? And you're like, oh, man, Raiders aren't supposed to do the Mile High Salute. That's what the Broncos do when we score. Right? We don't, we don't like it when our enemies mock us, but we kind of like it when we mock our enemies, right? Did you know that the Hebrews would theologically mock their enemies? One of their enemies was a god named Baal. And he was worshipped by the Philistines, by a city just north of Israel. And in fact, most of the time when Israel fell into idolatry, the god that they were worshipping was Baal. And one of the titles for Baal, one of the descriptions for Baal was the rider of the clouds. Do you know how many times in the Psalms Yahweh is described as the rider of the clouds? It's like an Israelite going, our God's the one that actually rides the clouds. Baal, he nothing, man. Ours are the one that scores touchdowns. He won't be dancing today. I mean, it's awesome. This is theological smack talk. And none of you look excited about it. <laughs> Did you see in Daniel chapter 7 that the Son of Man comes how? On the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man is the cloud rider. Punks from north of us who think that bales all that. I mean, this is awesome. And now Jesus picks this up in Mark chapter 2 and he says, so that you know that the Son of Man... Do you get who Jesus is saying he is? 
I'm God. I'm the one that rides the clouds. I'm the son of man. And so that you know I have power to forgive sins. Hey, why don't you take that mat and get out of here? Slowly, but surely, the microscopic level, the spine is reweaved. It's reconnected. He feels sensation in his legs that he hasn't felt for years. Not since that donkey accident. And there's not even an atrophy of muscles problem. He doesn't even need to go to Greg Collins to get beat up and get the strength back in the legs. He just gets up and walks out the building. Because God just forgave sins. Got him to walk. Now what can we learn from this besides Jesus likes theological smack talk and Jesus is God. Why the confusion? Why start with, son, your sins are forgiven. Let me suggest to you that you and I's problem is far worse than what we often think it is. You see, the guy was there to get to walk again. That was his his felt need. There's discussions in church world. Should we preach the people's felt needs or should we preach the truth? Here's an example of Jesus not dealing with felt needs. I mean, he deals with it, but he deals with what's at the core of all y'all's and my problem. You see, we think the problem is, well, the doctor told me that I have cancer and I'm going to die. Bummer. We think the problem is, man, my kid is a moron and I got to figure out how to stop that. We think the problem is, you know, I don't like so-and-so, my neighbor, because the dog barks all day long. We think the problem is, you know, the, the issue is I lost my job this week and I have no money. We think the problem is all these felt needs. And by the way, I'm not trying to minimize those. Yeah, it's important not to die. We kind of like you here. It's important you have a job. You need money. It's important your kids aren't jerks. Life's better for everyone if they're not. It's important if your marriage is in a wreck. It's more pleasant to go through life if you're not married to somebody you don't like. But your problem is worse than all of that. Some of you thinking, man, well, that's pretty bad. There's something worse. Yeah, Jesus says there's something worse than being paralyzed. There's something worse than having to have four guys bring you in to the building through the roof. There's something worse than not being able to earn a living because you sit around on a mat all day long and nobody's invented the internet yet, so you can't even do e-commerce. There's something worse than that. And something worse is that you are an offense to God. You have sinned against God. Remember who's talking here. The cloud rider, son of man, the one that got to sit in one of those thrones in that picture in Daniel 7, the one who the dominion 
of all the nations will be given, that his dominion will be everlasting, that he will rule forever. You have sinned against him. It's a big problem. And Jesus says, which is easier to say? Do you feel the shadow? Do you feel the shadow starting to reach in on this passage? The shadow, the controversies, the shadow from Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that they start to talk about how they will destroy him. Do you start to feel the reach of the shadow of the cross here in Mark 2? Jesus knows the answer, which is harder to say. Forgive your sins. Why is this so hard to say? Because it's going to cost him his life. That's the way. That's the way of the cross. That's the way that Jesus is heading. And he is orchestrating this showdown. In a few weeks' time, we're going to see that it is Jesus who gives the death blow testimony against himself, who solidifies that he will die on the cross. Did you know that if he would have just kept his mouth shut, they may have let him go? He did not plead the fifth. He needed a better lawyer. Do you feel the cross reaching in the the, the shadow? It is saying that the only way this guy will be able to have his legs loosed is if the Son of Man has his legs bound on the cross by a nail. It is telling us that the only way the offense of each of us before God can be destroyed and taken care of is if the Son of Man is destroyed and taken care of. The only way that we can have standing before righteous, holy, Son of Man, God, rider of the clouds, on the throne of heaven... The only way we can approach him is by the work of Christ on the cross. Which is easier to say? The answer, take up a match and get out of here, is much easier to say. Anybody, through the power of the Spirit, can work miracles many of us can work mighty deeds because of jesus and his work in us but none of us can save anyone none of us can save ourselves and many of us are on a self-salvation project that's why you're here today because you thought i got bad news and i'll just show up and i'll be in the right place and i'll change this whole karma dynamic and i'll get some good mojo going my direction And Jesus says, it don't work that way. You either allow me to save you or you destroy me. Those are your options. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fascinating story. We thank you that uh, we get to tear back 
some of the layers on this story because this is such a Sunday school story. I'm sure many of us saw the film strip. We saw the flannel graph. I remember this story from when I was just a little kid. And I missed the point. I got so caught up in thinking about somebody's roof being torn off and got so caught up in faith and how it heals people and got so caught up in all that stuff that I failed to see that the thrust of this story is that I am a sinner in need of salvation. And it is my deepest need. Forgive me, Father, when I forget that that is the deepest need in me. And I come to you with all these other things. But I forget the cost of my forgiveness. Father, I pray for each of us today. Those who are on the fence and don't know what to think of Jesus, they're part of the crowd, they haven't made up their minds. May they continue to pursue you. May they continue to be seekers. May they continue to search you out and look into these things so that they can come to a decision either to be a disciple or to walk away from you. But help each of us to make a choice that will change us. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you for your word. Continue to work it into our lives. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you fall in love with the rider of the clouds, the son of man. May you understand your true needs and that he meets them and that he can forgive you of all. Amen.